Welcome to Getting Unschooled. I'm Christopher Lolly. Well, it's been a while since the first episode, but I have a good excuse. I tested positive for COVID the week I published the first episode. It was definitely an interesting life experience, and getting completely back on my feet has taken longer than I'd hoped. But I'm finally feeling myself again, and I'm excited to get the next episodes of the podcast out for you. The timing around this has been very interesting. Because of my own experience with the virus and also the reality of what teaching has become in these first two months of the school year, I'm very aware that the types of things that are on teachers' minds right now are likely different from what they would normally be. At the same time, I'm confident that the universality of what it means to find our way in the face of challenge remains a constant, and that is at the core of the stories in the interviews we've recorded so far. So we will continue to publish the interviews that were recorded pre-COVID with the understanding that they remain relevant even if our context right now is dramatically different. I do plan to explore what teachers' experiences have been like during lockdown and teaching in the pandemic. I look forward to connecting with folks about their recent journeys and the insights that have surfaced as a result. And if you have any stories to share or colleagues you think our listeners should hear from, you can contact us at podcast at staffroomwellness.com. Today, I'm very excited to share my interview with Todd McNamara, recorded in the fall of 2019. I think most of us have been lucky enough to have the experience of having someone on our staff that we can always look to for perspective, passion, heartfelt engagement, and an uplifting word. I have to say that when I first started my career, I think I assumed that these teachers the ones who, when you go into the staff room, are keeping the conversation healthy while staying genuine and authentic, that these folks hadn't had to deal with the extreme stress or pressure, that somehow they were born with thicker skin or more resilient dispositions. Otherwise, how could they remain so positive under such stressful conditions? Those were the ideas, I think, that were floating around in my mind. But I remember the first time that Todd shared a bit about his journey and the struggles that he had gone through to come to a place where he refused to sacrifice his well-being or succumb to negativity. I realized through that conversation that in fact what appeared to be an effortless resiliency and even keeledness was in fact a hard-won state of being that required vigilance to maintain. I think most of us understand that for a team or an organization to be successful, it takes many different forms of leadership. A captain on their own will not be successful in achieving their goals, no matter how talented and inspired they are. A team also requires those who put in the hours building relationships, identifying and addressing areas of need, laying groundwork or cleaning up loose ends, any number of roles that are invisible to most people. In our conversation, Todd and I talked about what experiences led Todd to become such a seemingly natural fit for his role as an advocate for his fellow teachers. This conversation has made me even more appreciative of the great diversity of ways in which we can support each other while still maintaining our own integrity and well-being. I really appreciate Todd for his generosity and humility, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. So today we're speaking with Todd McNamara, uh, who's a teacher librarian with the Toronto District School Board. He's been teaching for almost 30 years. He started his career in Alberta and then moved on to Ontario. He's a wonderfully warm and dedicated teacher. I know this from experience. We've worked together. 
so I'm really excited to be talking with him today. Todd's a real advocate for teachers, and so I think we're going to get a lot of the conversation today. Uh, Thanks for chatting today, Todd. I'm happy to be here. Thank you uh, for that warm introduction. For many of us, uh, the beginnings of our careers are an intense time, and it's a steep learning curve, right? Like Teachers College often doesn't prepare us for so many aspects of the job. Right. I agree. What was your um, the beginning of your career like? Well, as, as you said, it was kind of like jumping into the ocean with not even a life vest. So <laughs> Teachers College helped me in, in the sense of I got a taste of a classroom experience. None of the courses, none of the classes prepared me at all. The practicum, I would say, was the most helpful. I did a, a reading major in my faculty of education, and that allowed me an extra six weeks in, as, a, as a practicum over and above. And it was the people I met that really helped shape me, that helped kind of give me some directions. One of the teachers that I did a practicum with insisted, no matter what I was doing, that I had to drop it and go to the staff room at recess. He insisted on that. And that was probably one of the most valuable things that helped me as a teacher to have that connection or that sense of community with other staff members. And it was through them that I really got a lot of the experience and the suggestions. And it was that exchange in the, in the staff room that really helped me find some balance to, to kind of air concerns, to get advice on how to teach different lessons, how to handle situations with the students. So it was that practicum, I think, that really helped me most in giving me a direction as a teacher. Yeah, and did you find when you went into the classroom on your when you got your first job, did you find that you were able to carry that over or Yeah, you know, that it was so ingrained in me at that point that yeah, I made sure it really helped me connect with a lot of staff members that um perhaps I may not have met otherwise. I know in my teaching even today there's teachers that never come down to the staff room. They don't really interact with the other members, and I think that can be so isolating. I think that uh just that exchange of knowing others can even be struggling the same as you are. It can be really helpful, you know, the ex- expression misery likes company. So, yeah, I think it, it was, it's really important. Yeah, and did you, so I'm hearing that sense of community. So you said you got some ideas out of it. Were there other things that you got out of that time that you couldn't get elsewhere? I think more so it was just building that sense of community among the staff I found I've been in many different schools and in many different situations, and I have been in schools where people stay in their own classrooms. It's very isolated, and you can feel it in the in the whole school community. There's there's a sense as soon as you walk into a school where people are interacting more. It's more of a family feeling, and and that definitely trickles its way down to the students, to the into the classrooms, and and with the community at large as well. So it can really shape the whole feeling of the school. Mm-hmm. And did you find that you had, uh, were you supported in other ways as a beginning teacher? Yeah, and I think I I am not reluctant to ask for help, and I think that's really, really important. I think you just kind of have to put your ego aside and admit sometimes that you don't know what you're doing at all. And it's fine to admit that and ask for that help. And and so that helped me, I think, those early experiences helped me be able to do that. Teachers today have the advantage of the internet and a lot of sharing that way. When I started teaching that, I mean, the internet was something that was literally just being talked about for the first time in, in, in the general community. So we had to make do with talking to each other and sharing our lessons that way, building building that sense of community. Mm. And what would you say were have some of the largest challenges or learnings been as you've navigated your way through school systems? 
for myself personally, some of the biggest challenges have been trying not to take on too much. I was always trying to prove myself to myself and to others. And so I was trying to be that super teacher. I would sign up for every extracurricular activity and every event and go to every extra thing put on by the school. I was spending all my evenings preparing lessons. I remember sitting, my, my first year teacher, I remember sitting every evening and cutting out letters to the bulletin board, coloring it. And I, I loved it. I enjoyed it. But I didn't realize just what a toll it was taking on me in terms of kind of getting out of balance. Work became everything in my life. Um, I was so eager to, to be the best teacher and to be really proud that, that you know, I, I started burning out at a, at a very quick pace, actually. So you noticed that it was taking a toll what helped you realize that it was too much? <laughs> I'm not sure help is the right word for that. I, I literally, after, I think it was about year seven, year six or seven, where I, I, I literally burnt out. I was um, turning to things that weren't necessarily healthy to help me cope. I was using things that would help get rid of stress really quickly, you know, things like alcohol and, and going out. Um, I was a super teacher during the day, and I, the pendulum, you know, after work, I... I was trying to, to find some escape. I think a little bit of background that might help for some people too is I was um, a homosexual man teaching in a Catholic system, which created another sense of having to kind of hide a lot of my personality, or, or not my personality, but hide who I was in, in, in a very deep way. And at the same time, it also fueled my need to, to be that super teacher and to be that great community member to try and prove that I was really okay. You know, I, I grew up with a lot of that internalized homophobia to my religion and, and my culture. Growing up in Alberta was really difficult that way. So it just, it kind of fueled my, my drive to be that perfect teacher and, and it actually helped lead to my burnout because ultimately deep down, I really didn't feel I was worthy just because of the way I was brought up and, and the way I, you know, was, was being judged by the, that aspect of myself. Yeah, and those external views, it's so easy for those things to become internalized Yes, and at that, at that point in my career is when a Christian college professor had been fired because he'd come out as being gay, and there was a big court battle. So it was something that was very, very prevalent in the news and in the media, which, which kind of made me feel that much more aware of the need to be hidden. And so I wasn't really accepting myself. And, and yet, in terms of people looking at me outwardly, I was just this model citizen, this ideal teacher, this this perfect person and the drive to maintain that led me to to burn out. As I said, I was joining every committee and every club and, and doing all the extracurricular things that I could do. Now, over the years, I've definitely learned that uh, to find a balance. I think being involved in extracurricular activities is essential. It's what really builds that relationship with the students and, and the community. But one really has to find a balance, not take on, you know, if you're getting burnt out, honor that and, and take, take time off if you're feeling sick. You know, to, to make sure you're looking after yourself, oneself, in, in terms of health and, and well-being. Yeah, and I guess what I'm hearing, too, is to question the driver. What's the reason behind why you're saying yes to something? Right, exactly, exactly. Question that motivation. And so can you talk a little bit about that journey then? I mean, if you hit burnout so early in your career, how is it that you came to come back to a place where you have felt more sustainable? For me, it, it was actually getting a break away from teaching. So the reason I moved to Toronto uh, away from Alberta, 
Uh, I had taken a year's leave and gotten a job in a completely different field. I, I got a job as a flight attendant. That's what took me away from Alberta. Although my first flight, I remember standing there as I'm doing the demonstration and doing the, the demo of the seatbelts. And then, oh, excuse me, sir, you need to sit down. I thought, I'm just in the classroom again. It's just out, up in the air. Um, so that was kind of a fun experience. It also made me realize, having a break, how much I did miss the teaching and miss that connection with, with the community. So it, when I went back, it really was a choice to go back. I also went back into teaching with the public board in, in Toronto, and they were very gay positive. There was a, a lot of support, and, and I could truly, for the first time, be myself and be proud of who I was. And so that was really important, too. Uh, once I started with the Toronto board, knowing all that support was there, it just took, it was, there was just a lot of relief internally as well. Uh, there's also a lot of wonderful organizations within the school board, when you're with a larger board, there's a lot of support. Uh, a lot of different social groups who can join, a lot of teachers meeting. Uh, of, of course, we always do shop talk. It's always talking about school, but it's in a social setting. And so the secret, I think, is not to be alone. It, again, it's that connection. Yeah, and I expect you're not the only person who's experienced that sense of alienation and, and lack of acceptance. And the interesting thing, it brings me back to my student teaching experience where that a cooperating teacher made sure that I was making those connections. And so that, I think, really was instrumental. In the back of my mind, it was always there and, and very, very helpful. Because when you're not, uh, I'm going to change a little bit. So I've seen um, a, a few other teachers I've worked with in the past who do isolate themselves. I have seen other teachers burn out. And it's, you know, a combination, I think, of working too much and whatever issues they have going on in, in their home life, that, that's, you know, a big factor always. But I've seen that sense of isolation. They stay in their classrooms. They don't come out. They don't make those connections. And I think that just builds that sense of aloneness. Yeah. And if I can go back to that, your experience of coming to a place where you realized you were not honoring your true self, that you were in some way not being honest with, I don't know if you would say honest with yourself, that process of coming to realize that you're not actually honoring your true self um, in terms of who you are as a person and as an individual. I'm curious about whether or not that experience of really, I'm guessing, having to fight to really feel like you could be who you were, whether that has empowered any other aspect of you as a teacher. I think I know what you're getting at. I, you know what? I, I really felt like I was a fake back then. And I realized even today, I kind of feel like I'm faking it. And when I talk to other teachers, especially, um, and not just other teachers, when I talk to other people, I think a lot of people feel like whatever they're doing well, they feel like they're faking it. Like someone's going to find out I'm really not this good. I think that's something we all share. It's something I can kind of accept and laugh at now because I, I realize with all the people I've talked to that, yeah, I think that's a common feeling. So I think we feel that no matter what the circumstances, I'm definitely coming from a place where I really was a fake. I mean, I was hiding, actively hiding in, in acting differently because I had to for survival. But now, like so I can kind of laugh at it now. I still, after, I've been, this is my 29th year of teaching, and I still feel like I really don't know what I'm doing. And I think that's kind of natural. I laugh at it now because obviously I'm, I'm doing a, a decent job. I wouldn't be where I am today. I have uh, still get a lot of, you know, feedback from people that are happy with the work I'm doing, but I still feel like I'm faking it. <laughs> yeah, it's something that's like, it's one of the, the attractive things about the career, right? It's something you know you're never going to get bored because there's always going to be growth. Yeah, and that's what you're exactly. That's what I love about teaching. Is 
if I am feeling stagnant or stale in an area, I, I can change a grade, I can change a school. I, I mean, I've, I've been through different grades, of course, being the teacher librarian now and being the special ed, uh, the Mart in our school, it's a new challenge for me. So I'm always able to, to grow and, and, and develop and, and everything I've done in the past just helps me be better at what I'm doing presently. You know, those experiences, what I've learned. Yeah. I experience you as, um, like I said in the opening, an advocate for teachers. And in some ways, it's not something that's in your face. You wouldn't necessarily know it from meeting you or spending, you know, a couple of days with you. But it's something that over time becomes super clear, you know, in terms of how you mentor people, how you interact with people in the staff room. And I'm also particularly interested with your relationship with administration, because I was impressed by how you navigated those relationships, how you very much stood up for what staff's needs were, and at the same time were able to diplomatically negotiate that time. How did you get to that point? I think part of that is my personality. Where I, I mean, I like to avoid conflict. Now, some people think that means running away. I will face an issue head on. That's part of my personality. But I also don't want to do it in, in, in a way that's uh, in a way of conflict. So I'm a big believer that through communication and open and honest communication, you can almost always solve a problem that way. For me, it's not about ego. I've always been raised kind of in a lifetime of service. So that was part of, I guess, my upbringing as being Catholic and helping out with the community center and the church. I was raised to be of service. So that's how I see my role as a teacher. It's to be of service, whether it's to be of service to the students, obviously, to the community, but also my fellow teachers. And so I think taking your ego out of it sometimes, I have no problem admitting when I'm wrong. Um, when I'm dealing with the administration, again, I'm not coming in in a manner that's really confrontational, but I'm coming in with a manner of, okay, we have, we, there's a situation, there's an issue here that we need to talk about. There's something that you know, we need to resolve. I think that's really, really important too, is before I try to approach a situation, I always try and come up with some solutions. So I think it's a really good starting spot is, yeah, I'm perfectly fine pointing out a situation that, or I'll complain, I'll make a complaint, but I'm making a complaint and then immediately saying, here's a solution I've come up with. Can we talk about other solutions that might be better? So I think if, if you're approaching a situation that way, it kind of opens the door for the other party you're talking with. And I think that's been the secret so far with dealing with administration. I've also been really fortunate that any administrators I've worked for have been open to that. I think one needs to be really careful about kind of going on the attack of someone. I think if you can approach someone and let them, them know that you're coming at it, not against them personally, but you're just, you know, as I said, talking about a situation. Yeah. And it, it's bringing a different perspective to the table and in, in the hopes that a resolution can be found. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, I'm definitely, as a, you know, you can probably feel I, I'm definitely a moderate. I'm not a fighter. I'm, I'm not here to, to shake up the system and, and make huge changes. I'm, you know, unless I, I see a real need. But as I said before, too, I will face a situation head on if it's there. I'm not going to avoid it. I think a lot of people let things fester. And that's something I've learned over the years. You know, I would I internalize things. I would let it fester inside of me. I would start, you know, being angry at myself, either for not dealing with it or, you know, I'd start to internalize. So I've learned that as soon as something comes up, the sooner I deal with it, the less stress it is for me and, and usually for, for the situation as well. Yeah. So the role of teacher advocate in this sense is very broad and it's not always 
like a job description, right? It can happen in very informal ways. And you have also been a union steward for a number of years. And I'm wondering how you see that fitting into your your sense of being a member of the teaching community as somebody who works to support people in looking after themselves and keeping healthy. So the union steward role is one that I'm really enjoying. I'm 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 still in that role right now. Uh, you know, we're gearing up for you know a possible very interesting and and possibly a very stressful situation with our government right now. I'm sure most people have have known in the media that our premier is cutting a lot of funding to schools. We're gearing up for a situation. I, I'm not going to say a fight, but I think it's going to be a difficult situation. So I, I'm really glad to be in this role again. It makes me feel good to be in a supporting role. I mean, there's part of that for me. You know, that it, it it's something selfish in a sense because I, I feel good about myself when I when I can feel I'm supporting others. In our staff, we've gone through other union stewards that have been, that have been very angry, very confrontational. And I think part of that is just with my years of experience, I've realized that you know there's nothing worth getting really upset about. So it, it's allowed me to be a little more calm, a little have a little more patience when I'm dealing with situations. Um, you know, the old adage that this too shall pass. I mean, that really is true in most situations. And, and knowing that, it can take some of the fear and anxiety away. And so it's just a matter of, uh, sorry, I can't, kind of keep repeating myself, but dealing with the situation, dealing with it professionally, knowing that who you're dealing with, you know, there are other professionals and you really have to respect them for that. And I think people can, can feel that. They can feel mutual respect. You don't have to like someone that you're dealing with. So when I'm dealing with situations in terms of, my union steward. I'm the first to support a staff member who feels they've been slighted or something is done against the contract. And I can also point out to people where their emotions are getting really involved as opposed to the facts of what's really happened. So I think if people can sort that out, they can accept that they're feeling a certain way. And when they can see the situation in terms of, okay, this is what the contract says, this is what is legally right. They can see that, okay, well, maybe they felt that somebody's done something to them that's made them upset, but they haven't done something to them that's actually wrong. So in the role of union steward, actually being able to fall back on the collective agreement and say, this is what's right, it also makes it really easy to stand up to someone when when they are doing something wrong, because it's in black and white. It's like, this is the collective agreement. You know, if you are breaking it, you know, in terms of talking to administrators, if you're breaking this collective agreement, then we can just move on to the next step. We don't need to get angry. We don't need to get upset. It's like, we'll just follow the procedures. So that, that's been helpful. Again, I, I like to see myself as a voice of reason to some of our staff members who like to get very emotional in situations. What would you say you've learned from the role? It sounds like that it's been rewarding and that it's fed you as somebody who wants to make sure things are fair and that people are looked after and that your community is healthy and strong. And I'm wondering on a personal level what this role has given you. I think it has fed my need to to feel important or to feel needed. You know, I have a lot of staff members and administration from the other end coming to me. I, I Basically, the role is that of an ambassador. That's how I see it. And so it, it's a role that can be very challenging. It challenges myself in, in terms of how to, how to approach the situation. And I enjoy that. It's like a little emotional and intellectual challenge. So for me, that's rewarding especially when something has found a satisfactory conclusion for both parties, that, you know, I, I can feel a little sense of accomplishment in that. So for me, on the personal level, that's what I get out of it. On a bigger level, it, 
I'm hoping that these solutions or you know, the conclusions to whatever situation they are can also lead to a greater sense of community, a greater sense of trust between parties. And, and, and that's something, a benefit that, that can benefit the whole school community, which is really important. Absolutely. And so, you know, like you said, you're in your 29th year and you have had quite a journey of your own in terms of finding a place where you can be yourself, you can find your voice, you can do what feeds you and stay energized. And I'm wondering the kinds of things that you share with people who might be beginning their careers when you talk to them in the staff room. I'm hearing when you're counseling teachers on issues that they're having, that there's a a sense of helping to guide them to greater self-awareness about what is actually behind the stress or the grievance. And I'm hearing about being able to help people articulate things in a measured way. What other things do you, or would you suggest to teachers who are trying to find that, that balance in their lives? I think one of the things I like to lead people toward, not just tell them, but try, kind of get them to, to experience for themselves is just like planning a lesson plan. It's looking at what is your goal? What is your ultimate goal here? And no matter what the situation is, whether it, it's something, you know, with a colleague or something with admin or something with a parent or with the students, it's like, what is your goal? Okay, so what's going to best help you meet that goal? And getting someone to sit and reflect on, okay, the situation now, what you're doing now, the choices you're making now, is, is that helping you with your goal? Is this helping you in the long run? So again, it is is helping them build that self-awareness. Also really pointing, a lot of people need things pointed out about the things they're doing well. I mean, so often in our society, especially as Canadians, we tend to complain <laughs> Statistically, I read that we are worldwide known as complainers. So we like to look at the flaws. And I think that's what makes us really special and good because we're always trying to make ourselves better. But in doing so, we're sometimes looking at the flaws of the things we're not doing as well. So I think it's really important as as staff members to be always pointing out to each other the things that we're doing well. And some people never hear that. So to hear some positive encouragement, you know, specific examples of something they've done that has been very positive or very um, productive. I think that's really important for people to realize, to sit back and say, hey, yeah, I'm actually doing good. I might feel like I'm a fake, like I, like I always have, but, you know, to have pointed out that you, you've accomplished this and this and this, they're very factual things that you can point out to someone. So I think we need to be doing that for each other more often. Well said. Totally agree. It took me you know, a number of years, I did some coaching when I was doing my coach training, I, I received coaching from a colleague who was also doing the program. And, you know, over a number of sessions, she really got me to be able to say, yes, okay, I was a good teacher. And it was this big battle. It was amazing to just, she had to come back again and again. And she was just, you know, asking me what the facts were and presenting that up. And I realized, yeah, it's that alternate narrative, right, to what was normally going on in my head. And I've grown just a few years and, and you've been part of that that helped me grow too, Chris, you know, I would watch you and your patience. You've seen me lose my, my patience with students. I think in the last couple of years, my patience has grown immensely. And I would watch how calmly you spoke, no matter what the situation, you were always calm and measured and spoken in a beautiful voice, that calm voice. And, and I've learned from that. So, you know, I, you have helped me develop that way as well. Thank you. Yeah, the meditation paid off. (laughs) Fantastic. So before we finish, I would love to know, I mean, before we started the interview, we were talking a bit about you're looking ahead towards retirement. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, for a lot of people, 
when they have that many years left, they might want to coast and so on. But I'm wondering at the moment, how do you see the next chapter of this? You know, if we look at the wellness journey, where's the next growth edge for you? Or what are your goals or hopes for the next part of your career? Interesting. As you said, you know, knowing that I'm close to retirement now has, has kind of taken some of the stress off teaching. So right now, I'm really, my goal right now is just really refining who I am as a, as a, as a teacher and a person. It's making me realize I don't have to get upset about anything. So it's, it's taken that sort of anxiety out of it. So for me right now, in terms of my, my goal for this year, getting through this school year, is I'm hoping not to raise my voice once with students. And um, I mean, it might sound like a silly goal, but it's having that sense of control, that sense of, you know, a little challenge for myself. It's like, just how much patience can I bring to this? So that's my goal for this year. In terms of a longer time, depending on where I'm living geographically, if I'm still here in Toronto, like I, I look forward to teaching for many, many more years, knowing I can retire, knowing that continuing teaching is a choice, I mean, it is a great job. It's such a rewarding job. It has a lot of benefits. It's something I love to do. So I don't know where I see myself, honestly. If we move out of Toronto and I would have to leave the school board because of physically moving, then I see myself going back to school. I love learning. Whether I'm learning as a teacher or learning as a student, I see myself going back to university and um, starting a whole new career. Wonderful. And as you go, you know, you mentioned the goal that you have this year. In terms of keeping yourself well, what would you say are the the pillars of that for you? The things you need to make sure you're that you're doing in your life to keep yourself well and enjoying your career? For me, it starts every day with never working past six o'clock. So I go into work at eight. I usually end up working to my lunch hour, which is not good. I wouldn't recommend that. I mean, taking breaks throughout the day, I think is, is super important. Even if it's literally five minutes to meditate, but when six o'clock comes, I'm out of that door and work does not come home with me. I mean, it, it's sometimes on the weekend, I'll have some marking that, that I have to catch up. But if I put in an eight to six day, that's enough. That's it. So, so having those really firm limits for myself is a really, really important. On the rare occasion when there's evening activities, you know, a, a concert or something, I was back to school. That, those are fairly rare. But when I do get home, it, it's making sure that I'm spending time, you know, with my family, with my dogs, walking the dogs, going for a walk. It's something I have to do when I get home from work. You know, the dogs force me to have to go outside, and it's the best thing. You know, we, we walk through the park, through the trees. It's a great way to unwind. Finding something I think is really important, whatever it is that brings you some sort of peace. And that's what I'd recommend for anyone. You know, a lot of people can do it throughout the day. If something brings you peace, whether it's meditating, whether it's listening to music, finding those, those moments and taking them. I think it's so important to just shut your mind down for a couple of minutes every day. Yeah. And to make sure you're looking after yourself, not just everybody else. Yeah. I mean, I, I also make sure I'm eating well. I mean, I will not skip a meal. That's the one, one thing I will not do. I will not skip a meal because it's not pleasant for anyone. I get really hangry. So <laughs> one of my limits is, is taking a break. No matter how busy I am, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to eat something. Great. Well, thanks so much, Todd. I really appreciate you making the time in this first week of school to chat, and I wish you a wonderful rest of your year. Thanks so much. Thank you, Chris, and, and good luck with your year, too. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Todd. 
and I want to thank him again for his generosity. If you found this episode to be meaningful or impactful for you, then you can support it by spreading the word through social media, emails, and in your staff room. Tell people to check it out. You can also subscribe and rate and review the podcast wherever you download your podcast to help more people find it. You can also support this project on Patreon. Becoming a micro-patron will help us expand our capacities to tell more of these stories. Getting Unschooled's associate producer is Alexandra Tabler. Our wonderful theme music is by Gabriel Fortuna. I look forward to speaking to you next episode when we chat with educator Kalinda Klein, the curriculum lead for First Nation, Inuit, and Métis education with the Upper Grand School District in Guelph, Ontario, about her journey of finding her voice and affecting change in the school system.